right, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And I'm telling you, it's going to be an incredible, incredible day that I hope you're planning on being here with us. Uh, we've got stuff planned for the kids, and we're going to have bounce houses and silly string wars and a special telling of the Easter story that I'm telling you is going to be great for them. And then for us as adults, there's going to be this amazing worship experience that's being planned, and you do not want to miss it. It's going to be an awesome day. And out of all the days of the year to invite family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, next Sunday is the day to do that. And uh, invite them to come and experience Easter here with us at the bridge. 9 and 10 30 our service time so make sure you're here and bring your friends uh, if you're new around here my name is scott and i'm the lead pastor here at the bridge and i'm so glad you guys are here today as we talk about a day that historically has been referenced as palm sunday or in some religious circles as triumphal entry sunday and it's a day that signifies the time when jesus entered into jerusalem beginning the last week of his life that culminated with his crucifixion at the end of the week. And millions of Christians throughout history and, and throughout the world today uh, will be studying this talk, this passage, this time when Jesus went into Jerusalem because it led to uh, a monumental event, probably the greatest day the world has ever experienced, Easter. And it's a, it, in that day, there was something that happened, one event that changed the course of human history. And we're going to talk about it next week. Uh, so make sure you're back to talk about it next week with us. Uh, today, though, I want to talk about this day and really kind of give you some information about why it's so important. And we're going to talk about some stuff from the Scripture. We're going to also talk about a few things from history to kind of bring some perspective in. And at the end, I really do believe uh, we're going to bring it all around to a place of application for our lives that I'm pretty sure will be crystal clear uh, at the very end, okay? So let's get started talking about this particular time in history. And at this time in history, there was one dominant power, one rule, one world rule that was happening, and it was the Roman Empire. They were not just the big kid on the block. They owned the block, all right? And I'm talking about it was amazing, this Roman Empire that was in, in charge. And the, it came out of the ancient Rome, but ancient Rome tried to begin to be, uh, you know, moved into this Roman Empire by a guy named Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar was the first one that tried to uh, bring it all together and become the dictator over the empire. And people didn't really like that a whole lot. And his reign only lasted less than a year and he was assassinated with not a whole lot to show for his reign other than... He had an adopted son named Octavian. Octavian, uh, Octavian eventually grew to power. He rose to, in the ranks to power and became, he changed his name to Augustus and became the first Caesar. And so Augustus Caesar takes over. Uh, Augustus Caesar, you may know the name from the Christmas story, if you're familiar with that. Uh, it talked about in the Christmas story that Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus had issued a decree that people had to go back for a census to be taken to their hometown. So he was the one, he had a pretty lengthy reign. He was in charge there during the birth uh, of Jesus. And this guy, I'm telling you, this, this rule that was going on during this time, it was all the way from like England to India was the Roman Empire huge, huge empire ruling the whole world with one leader at the top. So here's a ruler of an empire, 
inventor of a great salad. So Caesar Augustus, okay, so he's there, he's in charge. And listen, he believed that he was God's, you know, person sent here on this earth. He was God's son incarnate uh, in this world. God had sent him here to establish his reign uh, as the Caesar. Uh, He had a couple of popular sayings that he liked for people to say. Caesar is Lord, and there's no other name for which people can be saved than the name of Caesar. And these were things that he believed. He thought his reign was going to be forever. Um, He was the king of kings and lord of lords is how he referred himself. And then he died, uh, which kind of put a little kink in the whole reign forever thing. But the guy that came along after him was a guy named Tiberius. He was the next Caesar, Caesar Tiberius. Tiberius was actually the Caesar that was in charge during Jesus' um, life, his, his, his really during his ministry on earth, during his death and resurrection. And in ancient times, if you wanted to let people know who was in charge, and there's several ways to do that, but one of the ways is that you would have coins made, and the coins would have your face, your emblem, your profile on there with your inscription and this became a world, you know, exchange. I mean, that's what was used. It was a currency in the world that people had to use. And when they would go and conquer different lands, uh, the people of those lands had to pay a tribute or had to pay a tax to Caesar. And Caesar then would use that money to continue to build his army. And as the army grew, they would then go and attack more lands and conquer more lands and just keep, it's just cycle going on. They would attack lands, conquer, raise money, build an army, attack again and conquer. And this was going on over and over and over again. Now, in the land of Palestine, the ancient land of Judea there in Israel, uh, this was kind of a problematic thing for the Jews. Because since the time of that, in the Old Testament, it talks about how Moses went up on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments, the law from God. Since that time, and in the law, it says that they were only to worship one God. God was the only person they were to worship, pay homage to, or anything like that. And so these coins and paying taxes to a guy that set himself up as God on the earth, it was just a little bit problematic for him, right? Except for the fact that They realized if they didn't pay the taxes, then they'd be viewed as rebellious against Caesar. And most people who rebelled against Caesar or Rome didn't rebel for very long. They didn't last very long, okay? Rome didn't think too kindly of those kinds of things, especially the Caesar that was in charge, Tiberius. Tiberius had a little bit of paranoia that there was always somebody trying to rise up to become the next king. And so if there was ever any rebellion going on or ever any thought that somebody might be rising up, then he would squash it real quick. Now, that's important information for a little bit later. So you're, you know, the Caesars, not only was this paying tribute to Caesar problematic for the Jews, but it really set up something that was difficult for the Caesars of that day. And I'm sure it's things that you and I face today. It's when, when you have conquered many lands and you, you know, own the world, basically. How do, you, how do you make sure that the people in foreign lands that you've conquered continue to comply? How do you make sure? How do you enforce that? Because if you're in Rome and you've got people thousands and thousands of miles away, 
It's not like you can jump on a plane and get there tomorrow. I mean, it would take months to get there. So how do you make sure all of these foreign lands like Judea, the Palestine in that time, how do you make sure they can continue to comply? How do you enforce the Roman way? Well, a couple of choices you had as, as, as Caesars, and they did different things. Sometimes they would look at people in the country, and they would you know, kind of raise them up and say, I need you, this is your people, but you need to operate under Rome, and I need you to enforce compliance, keep the peace, those kinds of things. Sometimes they would choose one of their Roman officials and send them to live there, and they were the ones that would enforce you know, compliance and keep the peace. In this particular case, as it related to Judea, um, Tiberius decided, I want one of my Roman buddies to go down there, one of the Roman officials, to be in charge of the place, to enforce everything, keep the Roman way, and keep the peace. I don't want to hear anything down there. I want it to stay settled down down there. And the guy he selected to be the governor, the prefect, the one that's ruling over that area, is a guy named Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, we know, if you know anything about the biblical account, Pontius Pilate is the person that Jesus stood before in, in the time of trial before he was crucified. Now, some people might question, was Pontius Pilate a real person? And the reality is, is that yes, we know that because archaeologists have uncovered uh, different things that, that tell us this. In the 1960s, there was an Italian archaeologist who uncovered this stone. And this stone was discovered in an area on the Mediterranean. It was an ancient city called Caesarea, Caesarea by the sea. And it was a, uh, an ancient city that was built in honor of Caesar, Caesar Tiberius. And they said that the stone here is it's kind of pay tribute to Caesar Tiberius, but it says on the stone, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. So there was proof that was uncovered that, yes, Pontius Pilate was the one who was ruling during this time. Now, Pilate was not real fond of going to Judea and living and ruling these people. And if you're Pontius Pilate, the last thing you want is for the people that you're overseeing to raise any kind of ruckus, all right? I mean, the thing you want is everything to stay quiet. Just stay peaceful. Nobody get upset about anything. And there was always this level of anxiety that if the people started acting up, then Tiberius was going to come into town, look at him and say, what am I paying you to do? I mean, I got you in charge of these people. Can you not do it? Are you incapable? Do I need to have you replaced with somebody else? He didn't want that. And so he was trying to make sure that the people stayed at peace, but also enforcing all the things about Rome. Well, he didn't really like the assignment, but it came with some perks. He actually lived in a pretty nice, uh, pretty sweet little crib uh, on the Mediterranean. Now, I know, by our standards, it doesn't look like much, right? Modern day standards, doesn't look like much. But I'm telling you, back in the day, it was swanky, okay? I mean, there was rooms everywhere, flat screens everywhere. It was a nice, nice place. In fact, it was on the Mediterranean, and this is the whole complex here, and it was unbelievable the way this thing was set up. It had every amenity you can think. It had all these colonnades and pools and fountains. It had Olympic-sized swimming pool. had a gymnasium. It was the first lifetime fitness right there. Uh, had all of the, it had a hippodrome. Anybody know what a hippodrome is? Chariot races, horse races. You know, Sunday afternoon, hey, get the guys over, do a little chariot racing. We, we got all of that. I mean, he had a nice, nice setup. 
And he wanted to rule the area with the main capital city being Jerusalem from about 50 to 60 miles away. See, Caesarea by the sea on the Mediterranean was about 50, 60 miles from Jerusalem, which was the center of everything happening in Judea. He didn't want to be in Jerusalem. He would rather be out on the Mediterranean. So most of the year, he would stay out there. And everything, for the most part, went pretty peacefully. Except when the Jewish people would have different feasts and festivals, because they would always have those in Jerusalem, and it would always attract more Jewish people into town. Especially every year, they would have this, the largest gathering, the largest feast. It was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or better known as Passover. And some scholars, and Passover basically was in, uh, in memory, they would, they would celebrate what God had done in delivering them years ago, delivering the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. They spent 400 years being oppressed and enslaved by Egyptians. And, and when God sent Moses over, delivered the people from captivity. And so that Passover event was something they celebrated every year. And many scholars would say that as many as 200,000 Jewish people would, would, from the region would all come to Jerusalem to celebrate this week of Passover. Now, if you've got 200,000 additional Jewish people all gathering in one spot, and they're talking and they're singing and they're talking about all the ways that you know, God has delivered them in the past from their oppressors and, and how he's delivered them from captivity in the past and the promises he's made in the future, that he is their God, they are his people, that he will hear the cries of those being oppressed. He will deliver those who are in captivity. They're singing and talking about all these. If you know, if you're a pilot and you know all that's going on, that's the kind of party you're not real happy about, right? I mean, the anxiety level has to go up. You've got 200,000 people coming into town. This thing is a powder keg just waiting on a spark. Waiting on something to incite the people. And they're talking about, you know, all the oppressors and God delivering them. And Pilate's sitting back going, wait a second. I'm now the oppressor. I'm now the one that's kind of holding them down. You know, how often are they going to be getting together and going, hey, we got, let's see, one, two, three. We got enough guys. Let's go take Pilate down, right? And so he gets nervous about this. And every year, he decides, especially at Passover, in order to make sure that nothing happens, that we keep the peace, that Tiberius doesn't hear about anything, that I stay in control, I stay in power. Now, he had religious leaders working with him, Jewish religious leaders, that were working to keep the peace as well. But just in case they weren't enough, he would take all of his armies, all of his entourage, and he would march from Caesarea to Jerusalem to be in town for the week of Passover. And then they would all move back out of town. But this army of people and Caesar and all the officials and all the generals and all of them are up on horseback, which that, back in that day was a sign of the conqueror. It was a sign of strength. And they would have all the Roman guards and the Roman armies. And they would be lined up and they would have the Roman flag. They would have the standard bearers going along. They would have the Roman eagle, which was a sign of strength and power and speed. And all of this was a display of saying, don't mess with us. 
don't mess with us. Hey, you better turn that amp down over there. Don't mess with us. I'm telling you right now, we will crush you. All of these things that you see are all the lands we've conquered and all the rebellions we've put down in the past and we will put you down too. And every town they marched through, it was just a sign of their strength. And you could hear them coming from miles away. The, the military, the armor, the metal would just clink in, in like a rhythm. And you could hear them coming as all a way of intimidating people. Rome's in town. You better keep it down. Or we will put you down. I mean, it was like, you know, we're here. <clears throat> and so this is Pilate. This is Rome. Coming into Jerusalem from the west. A, shy, a sign of strength and power to make sure that no one rises up and tries to overthrow the power that they had. Well, the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, actually all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about this. But in the gospel of Luke, we see a different picture coming from the east side of Jerusalem. You got Pilate and all the Roman armies coming from the west, coming from the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And from the east side, Luke begins to describe a different picture. And here's what we read in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. It says, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So they went ahead and found the colt just as Jesus had said. So they're coming along on the east side of Jerusalem. They come along these couple of towns. They're on the Mount of Olives. And I think we see we have a, a picture here. This is what it would look like looking down from the Mount of Olives down toward Jerusalem. And they're, they're there, and they're coming from this east side over here. And he says, listen, I need a donkey. Can somebody go get me a donkey? There's, there should be one tied up over here. Just go tell them that I need it, and they'll give it to you. And sure enough, those two disciples go. They find the donkey, just as Jesus said. And somebody asked him when they were untied, hey, why are you untying that donkey? And he said, well, the Lord needs it. And they said, all right. And so that's just all they had to say. It was like the password. And so donkey password. And so they got the donkey and they came back. And here's what it says. It keeps going. It says, so they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. So they began making their way down the Mount of Olives. There's a road that goes down the Mount of Olives, down to the base down there, and it's overlooking Jerusalem. As they began making their way down, people began taking their, their outer garments, their robes, laying them down on the ground for them to walk over. They began, other gospels tell us that they began cutting palm branches and laying them down. Some of them take, would take the palm branches and begin waving them. All of these things were a uh, symbol. They were symbolic of someone that was royalty, that was a king. And so they're showing all of these signs that Jesus is a king. Jesus is royalty. 
And as they, you know, at this particular time in the ministry of Jesus, it's, his popularity has pretty much reached a crescendo. I mean, man, everywhere they went, he was extremely popular. People wanted to hear him. People wanted to see him. A lot of people were believing in him. And so, and, and the disciples, you know, these 12 disciples, they felt like rock stars too because they were associated with them. You know, they're handling all the, you know, press requests and things. You know, okay, I'll try to set that up for you. Okay, you want an autograph? I'll, I'll give you my autograph, you know. And so, they're, they're, all of this is in some ways going to their head a little bit. All the crowds are starting to build around them. They're singing and shouting, laying down palm branches, laying down coats. And man, it is a big, big thing going on. And here's what it says they were singing as he walked along they were singing blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest they were crying out hosanna or in their language it'd be oshana and they were crying this out which means save us it was it was it was honoring this person and what is the one phrase that you see up there that might have been problematic king We've already talked about how Tiberius didn't want to hear about any kings rising up. He's a little bit paranoid about it. And all of a sudden, you have thousands of people that are flocking to the sides of this guy riding on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem from the east side, when at the very same time from the west side, you got Pilate and all of his people entering into Jerusalem. And over here on the east side, you've got Jesus, and these people are screaming and, and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, you can see where this gets a little tense, right? And as we said a moment ago, the, the Pilate had religious leaders there in the Jerusalem area that were, were basically on his payroll to keep everything quiet, to keep everything, everybody in check, keep peace going. And we see some of them approach Jesus. And it says, verse 39, some of the Pharisees, it's a religious uh, ruling group. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're saying, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, teacher, rabbi, rebuke these people. Tell them to pump the brakes on the king stuff. Do you know who's coming in from the other side of town? They, the last thing we need is for him to hear these chants about a king over here. Okay, this is not the time to be having a King Jesus pep rally. Would you tell them to pipe down? So here's what Jesus said. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, the Rolling Stones weren't in town. He's talking about, <laughs> but they're probably old enough. They probably were around then. But, but he's talking about, uh, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen. If I tell these people to be quiet, you don't understand what's going on right now. What's going on right now, and even nature understands, is that the king is entering Jerusalem. I am exactly who they say I am. Now, they had a different idea of what that king looked like. Their mindset of this Messiah, this king, was someone that was going to come in and kick the Romans out. And by force take back over and institute this time of prosperity again for Israel. So they had a different idea about what this Messiah, this king was going to be. But nonetheless, they were crying out, he is the king, he is the Messiah, he's the one we've been waiting for. 
And what Jesus is telling these Pharisees, he's saying, listen, if they don't do it, the rock nature will cry out because what is happening is true. Nature knows it. They're saying it. And the implications of what he says in that moment were so strong religiously, politically, socially, in every single way. And they got it. And the Pharisees understood it. The religious people knew this. And that's why you see in several places where they were trying to plot to stop Jesus, to get rid of Jesus. In fact, there are, there are times that you read in the Gospels where they said, if we don't stop this, it's going to be bad for all of us. It's going to be our ruin. And that means their power that they had, that they was given to them by Rome, it means that Rome would come in and crush them. And they were afraid. They were like, if we don't stop them, if we don't stop Jesus, then people are going to keep believing in him and it's going to be bad for us. And they knew that. And Jesus is telling them, listen, what they're saying is true and even nature knows that it's true. And if they don't say it, the rocks are going to start singing it. Because what's happening is exactly what was prophesied to happen. And then as he gets down to the, to the base of the Mount of Olives, and he's got Jerusalem in full sight. This is what we, we see next. So when Jesus caught sight of the city, he burst into tears with uncontrollable weeping over Jerusalem, saying, if only you could recognize that this day peace is within your reach, but you cannot see it. For the day is soon coming when your enemies will surround you, pressing you in on every side and laying siege to you. They will crush you to pieces and your children too. And when they leave, your city will be totally destroyed. Since you would not recognize God's day of visitation, your day of devastation is coming. He looks at Jerusalem and he catches a glimpse of what would happen just a few years later. In A.D. 70, it's when Jerusalem fell. When the temple was destroyed. And he's looking at him and saying, if you only could open your eyes to what was going on right now. If you only could see right now the peace that, that you could have. If you only could see the life that God is offering, the better way to live life. But you can't see it. And because of that, bad things are coming. In fact, we know, as, as, and you'll see an arch here. This is the Titus Arch. Uh, it's an arch in Rome. It's still up to this day, dedicated to a general named Titus. He was a general that actually went in. He had other victories, but he went in. Uh, in 70, around 70 A.D., uh, there was a rebellion uh, in, in, in the land of Israel. The Israelites thought they could do it the Roman way, and they could take over by force. And a group of them began to rise up trying to take back their city. And Titus, General Titus, came in and utterly crushed them. It said they destroyed the temple, um, crushing it to powder. That the people, he began to just, just kill the people. Um, I'm talking about men, women, children, just slaying them. All in a way to say, you don't mess with Rome. You don't mess with Rome. And Jesus sees this and he's like, you have a choice in front of you, but you're not seeing it. And you're going to continue doing life your way. 
and it's going to lead to your destruction and you don't know it. And I'm telling you right now, I'm offering you a better way to live. I'm offering you peace that you can't even see. Pilate, coming from the west. Jesus, coming from the east. Two polar opposite ways of entering a city. Pilate comes in on horseback with his armies, show of strength, show of conqueror, show of force. We're the ones in charge. We're going to make sure you comply. Don't mess with us. My way or the highway. Jesus comes in not on the back of a horse, on the back of a donkey to show that of a servant as opposed to one that's coming in, taking things by force. Jesus comes along, not about being prominent and powerful and all of those kinds of things. He's basically saying, I'm a different king. You cry out to me, king, Messiah, save us, save us, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. But I didn't come as the kind of king that would make war with Rome. I came to provide peace in your heart and peace with God. I didn't come here to destroy Rome. I came here to conquer death and hell and your sin so that you could have that kind of peace. Not a peace that lasts today and until someone else comes in and conquers you, but a peace that surpasses everything you might face. I'm a different kind of king. Two different ways to enter a city. The way of Jesus and the way of the Romans. But you know the reality is there's always two different ways in everything in life, right? There's two different ways for you to live your life. There's always a choice there. There's two different ways for you to treat your spouse. Two different ways for you to raise your family. Two different ways for you to conduct your business. There's two different ways for you to treat your employees. Two different ways for you to treat your boss. Two different ways to look at pain and suffering in your life. Two different ways to handle the conflict in your life. See, there's always two different ways. There's always the way that Jesus provides, and there's always the way that Rome provides, or the way of the world. There's always two different ways. And what we see in this particular day is these two different groups are entering the city is something that Jesus talks about over and over again throughout his ministry. We see it as we read the Gospels over and over again. It's this very question. There are two ways to live. Which one will you choose? Over and over again. We see it as he teaches. We see it as he uh, deals with his disciples. Over and over, there are two different ways to live. Which one will you choose? See, the, the, the way of Jesus is a way that provides peace. Not, not the kind of peace that makes sure that all your circumstances are good. That's not really peace. That's just everything's lining up right now. 
It's the kind of peace that says, I'm at rest in Him. I trust Him. It doesn't even matter if all hell breaks loose and there's chaos all around me. I'm, I can be at peace because I, I rest in Him. That's a different kind of peace. See, Jesus' way is about humility. That's not a, that's not a word we like using. I don't know many people that aspire to be humble, right? That's not a way of the world. That's not a way of the Romans. We don't like that. Humility, others first. We might say we want to put others first, but most of the time we might live like we are putting ourselves first. Jesus says, no, it needs to be that you put others first. Serve. If you do these things, you'll have joy. You mean I'll be happy? Well, joy is a little bit different. Happy is based on what's happening around you. Joy is something that comes from inside. And he says, I can fill you up with that. And here's the way Rome views that. This just the opposite, okay? Instead of peace, it's violence. In other words, I can't rest in who God is. I can't trust in who God is. I've got to make it happen, whatever that means. If I have to step on people to get there, then I just have to step on people. Because that's the way the world is. And that's the way I have to operate as well. Instead of humility, it's about pride. Humility is willing to say, I'm sorry when I'm wrong. Pride says, ah, let's figure out a way to justify it. Instead of others first, it's you first, me first. I can't put other people ahead of me. I've got to make sure I get mine. If I don't do that, who's going to do that for me? Instead of serving, it's controlling. Over and over again, we see in the gospel, Jesus talking about the best way to influence, to gain influence is to serve. But that's counterintuitive. It's not even natural. The best way to get influence is to take influence. It's to control the environment. Control people. And when we do all of those things, we're not filled with joy. We're, we set a path of destruction. You see, you're not influencing anybody if you're controlling them and they're doing it out of a requirement. That's not influence. And as soon as they don't have to do it anymore, they won't. And you never be filled with joy when you're having to do all of those things. And usually it's a path of death and destruction in the wake of all of those decisions. It's death of relationships. It's death of the opportunities that you've had. It's the destruction maybe of a career. He says there's two ways to live. You know what's so, what's so amazing about this whole thing is that just before this, I mean like we're talking about the chapter before this, like right before all of these things were happening. The disciples, I told you a moment ago, they had kind of grasped the fact that, man, we're hitting a crescendo here. I mean, we are popular. I know we being he, but we being us, he with us, right? So we are all popular. So much so that Jesus had just gotten through talking to them about serving and, you know, serving people and things like that. And, and then two of the disciples... James and John, they come up to Jesus and said, hey, listen, they pulled him off to the side. Hey, listen, we ask you about something real quick. And Sure, yeah, what do you need? Listen, when you enter your kingdom, and Jesus just gotten through telling them for like the 15th time, we're going to go to Jerusalem. When we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be handed over. They're going to put me to death. They're going to beat me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to put me to death. They're going to crucify me. But after three days, I'm going to come back to life. He had just 
finished telling them that. And looks at them and says, okay, guys, let's, let's head on in. And at, like, stand up. And James and John say, hey, let me ask you about something. Yeah, what? Listen, I, all that, I don't know about all the beating and mocking, spitting stuff, but when you enter your kingdom, can, can one of us sit on the right and another sit on the left? It's like, I, 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 you know, what happened? Did you not just hear? And so it's like, Jesus is like, okay, time out. Guys, circle back up. Let's talk again, all right? And I want you to see what he tells them, all right? Because it's so counterintuitive. It is so unnatural what he tells them. Here's what he says. This is in the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 42. It said, Jesus gathered them all together. They'd already been gathered together. He gathers them back up. We've got to go over this lesson again. And said to them, those recognized as rulers of the people and those who are in top leadership positions rule oppressively over their subjects. He's looking at them saying, you know how people lead, right? I mean, you, 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 you look around. You can see the Romans, they're in charge. And you can see those who are in top leadership. You see how they rule. And of course, they're going, yeah, that's kind of why we said we want to be on your right and your left. I mean, we want right? We can see that it's top-down leadership. We can see the people at top, man, they get the most stuff. They get the most perks. And they use their power to get more influence and more things coming their way. So, yeah, we see that. And we're excited about it. That's why we asked. <laughs> and then Jesus says four words. It's four words for them. It's four words for you. It's four words for me. He says, not so with you. Not so with you. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus looking at you and saying, that's not the way you live. That's not ever been what I'm about. And if you're a follower of mine, that's not what you should be about. Anybody that's in leadership, especially if you're in leadership and you're a Christ follower, he would look and say, not so with you. It ought to be different. He keeps going in verse 43 and he says this, you are to lead by a different model. If you want to be the greatest one, then live as one called to serve others. That doesn't make any sense, does it? If I want to be the greatest, I have to serve people? How does that make sense? That's the whole counterintuitive part. That's the, the stuff that you just don't get out there a lot, right? How am I the greatest if I'm the one serving people? <laughs> Jesus says, well, let me clarify a little bit more. The path to promotion and prominence comes by having the heart of a bond slave who serves everyone. See, at least a servant is a free person. At least a servant possibly can get a little payment maybe for what they're doing. But a, a bond slave is someone that has no freedom. That you're a slave to someone. He said, yeah, to clarify the whole thing about greatest servant. So if you want a, the path to prominence, the path to being the greatest, then you need to act like you're a bond slave and serve others. Continue to put yourself down others first. Not you first. Humility. Serve. Why would we do that? That doesn't make sense. Why would we do that? Jesus says this. For even the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, 
but to serve everyone and to give his life as the ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many. He said, this is what I've been about. And you keep missing it, and I get it, but you're going to understand it at some point. But I didn't come here to be served by everyone. I came here to serve people and to give my life as a ransom. A ransom means there's an exchange, a life for a life. And he said, I came to give my life in exchange for yours. It's the greatest exchange that's ever been offered to us. That we can exchange our sin, our guilt, our shame. We can hand that over and Jesus says, I'll give you a brand new life. I'll give you peace. I'll give you grace and mercy. I'll give you joy. I'm willing to lay down my life for yours. So he gets them up and says, okay, let's go. And they begin walking again. They still didn't get it. But soon after they arrived in Jerusalem, they began making preparations to have Passover together. And the Gospel of John tells us that before they took the Passover meal, that Jesus stood up, took, out, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and as soon as he started doing that, everybody in the room got nervous because they knew what was coming, that he was about to wash their feet. They didn't even think about washing their own feet. They certainly didn't think about washing each other's feet. They didn't even think about, let's go get a servant to come in and wash our feet. And now here is their master, their Lord. And their thought going through their mind is, we've seen those hands do unbelievable things. And now you're going to touch my stinky feet. Peter even protested. He said, no, 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 no. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't, you're no part of me. And Peter's like, well, then wash my whole body then, you know. I want to be part. And when he finished, he stood up and he said, you call me Master and Lord because that's who I am. And you're right in doing that. But I, your Master and Lord, have served you in this way. I've washed your feet. Now I want you to do the same thing for each other. I don't want you running around trying to grab power, make power plays here or there, put yourself above everybody. I want you to serve. And as you serve, you gain influence bigger than that. You experience joy. And Jesus says, in those times when you even question that, just come to me. When all the crap of the world is beating you down, come to me. Hand all those things over to me, those burdens over to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. But you're not ever going to get it by choosing the other way. That way leads to death, decay, and destruction you have a choice two ways to go about living what will you choose let me pray for us